This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 260. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Upon this episode 260 we continue our look at the American Horror Project box set series. I'll be joined after the first break with my guest Derek as we look at disc number 5 from the second box set. So this is the second movie in the second box set. A little movie called Dark August from 1976. It will be fun, we are almost finished this series and it will finish this month and then we will return early 2021 to do another box set and continue another interesting conversation and journey. I'm really enjoying them, it gives me an opportunity to finally take the shrink wrap of so many box sets that I bought that just lie there gathering some dust. It is the sad and lonely life of the collector. This is another very busy week under the stairs leading up to our two week break over Christmas, which will start on Christmas Eve with the launch of our Christmas Eve commentaries. So, rather than bore you all with the list of things that are coming up this week, I just want to thank you again for all your support in this month. Uh, The numbers have been kind of crazy, and um, I've got plenty more still to come out, so you will be spoiled by the end of it, and let's be honest, you're worth it. I'm going to take a very short break just now. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for Dark August. When we return, we're discussing that movie right after this. Hello, this is the Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. <laughs> the truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. That's gotta go. <laughs> That's gotta go in there. So on the show, uh, we talk about giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I am Brad, the guy that's not Richard, or Jeffrey, or Simon. That's right. We have four people, and we always talk at once, except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? (laughs) We got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow.
And welcome back, ladies and gents. So we are continuing this journey on. This is the penultimate episode in our American Horror Project series of reviews. We're on box set number two, disc number five, which is Dark August. Joining me as always is my friend and colleague in this journey of box set exploration. It's my good buddy, Derek. How you doing, bud? Hey, I'm walking here, you know... (laughs) I'm name. I'm gonna be called Devito for the rest of the episode, yo. Al dente, al dente. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, this guy's like, like, it just it threw me for a loop in the best way. I mean, can anyone pull off double denim as good as our, our central <laughs> protagonist here? It was kind of amazing. I'll be honest. <laughs> um, we are doing Dark August. Let me give you some deets on this one. Um, According to the back of the box set, or the back of the disc, uh, witchcraft and psychic phenomena abound in this criminally neglected slow burn chiller from director Martin Goldman, um, starring Academy Award winner Kim Hunter from a streetcar named Desire. Uh, JJ Barry plays Sal. (laughs) Of course he does. (laughs) <laughs> an out-of-towner, yes, very much so, uh, relocated to a small rural community where he finds himself at the mercy of dark forces after inadvertently killing a young girl in a car accident. Pursued at every turn by the girl's grandfather and a menacing shrouded figure, Sal soon, be- soon becomes convinced that the old man has placed a hex on him and seeks out the assistance of, assistance of a local psychic medium played by Kim Hunter. Filmed entirely on location in Vermont, which cinematographer Richard E. Brooks captures in all its rustic autumn, <laughs> autumnal beauty, Dark August, originally entitled The... What's that? Hant? The Hant. The Hant. The Hant. The Hant. You can't. Um, is a quiet, insidious horror picture perfect for those who like their chills to creep up on them. Uh, so you had seen this before, Derek. Yes. Right. Did you see when the box set arrived, or is this a movie you'd seen before in the past? Right when the box, like, it just intrigued me because it was filmed in Vermont. So I'm like, I have to check this one out because I might, you know, and you know the creek in the movie. I actually been to that creek. It was fucking weird. Like, so, so this is your there. home turf, then, yeah. Well, I live in Massachusetts, Vermont, it's like the next state up, but ah. I've been there, you know, so. I've been there a few times in my life, and I actually fly fished in that creek that they filmed. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> Wait one second, I've been here, but I mean, like, whenever you fly fish there, now you'll be looking for a shrouded figure standing on the hillside. I mean, yes. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, this was a first time watch for me, and um, I didn't know what I was. I genuinely didn't know what to expect from this one at all. Like the the kind of synopsis has that kind of kind of almost a Poe-esque quality of like the Telltale Heart or something. You know, the the guilt of something being manifest to come after you. And then also the the kind of from what I'd read off the back about a shrouded figure, I was like, well, you know, what does that like? What does that actually? mean in terms of is this going to be something that's in his head or is this going to be something that's actually real like all these questions before I sat down to watch it what I found really interesting about Dark August is that unlike the other movies that we've covered in the box sets thus far this is maybe the most unassuming out of the lot and that it doesn't really wear its kind of horror tropes all that much in the front 
like when I think of the only other movie that I thought that maybe had similar sort of kind of soft kind of leanings is a movie like The Premonition but even The Premonition mm-hmm. at a certain point ramps very much into oh well this is a horror movie Dark August like teeters on the edge it's kind of like it's kind of like when you throw a basketball and it kind of bounces on the hoop a couple of times before going in yeah. it, it never really fully commits to anything even up until like the weird kind of like witchcraft seance thing at the end which is definitely a horror trope even then, though, it's still playing it fairly aloof. And if anything, I actually found that really refreshing off the back of the other movies we've seen thus far. I, I kind of feel like if you were doing like uh, like Stephen Thrower's doing here, which is a collection of movies which represent this great slab of, you know, underseen, weird, exploitative and almost driving movie Americana, like Dark August is a good change of pace and change of tact and also kind of gives a good indication at how diverse the cinema is of the time I mean because this yeah. one is not like it really isn't like the other ones for better and for worse I do have some uh, some like minor issues that we'll, we'll, we'll come to but where the movie shines is spe- is this the one when I was talking to you uh, a couple of shows ago and you said that you thought I might like Dark August because it plays into something I've been covering on Chronicle. Yeah. Yeah, the kind of folk horror element here of, well, you're in a town that you don't really know and the the scenery is almost the one of the driving characters here because I totally agree with you. It has, it has that sort of... Weirdly, at times, reminded me of um, Whistle and I'll Come to You um, in terms of this idea of this kind of hooded cloak figure that is, like menacingly closing in on our character and there's absolutely nothing he can do to stop it I, I thought that was really quite apt um, before we get into a deeper conversation because there is a lot to cover here most notably and I want to have a full like a full hearty discussion about the soundtrack to this movie which is fucking bonkers in the best possible way um, yeah but what, this is a second watch for you. What was the first watch like and how did it feel coming back for the second? You know, I had a lot of questions the first watch when I was watching this movie because, you know, the thing that I took from the movie is there's a lot of character stuff in this and some mm-hmm. of it's good, some of it's bad. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot of it and you could tell which one it is because you know, the main actor of this movie and the main actress are the ones who co-wrote the screenplay. So I'm like, they're like, we're going to have the scene where we're going to have sex with each other. You <laughs> know, gonna film and, it. And, you know, I was like, okay, that was awkward. But, you know, I, this movie kept me engaged and entranced maybe because of the score. It kind of self-induced it. It kind of had like a hypnotic effect mm-hmm. the soundtrack does that kept me involved with it. It was like, boom, 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 you know, like, whoa. Yeah. You know, even if it was like a slow, like, talking scene or something, it just kept me in drug because I wanted to see how it fucking ended. And then we had a cameo award winner, Kim Hunter, in the movie, who I think they should have, like, why didn't you advertise that she was in Planet of the Apes? It's a genre, you know. Yeah, you know, it's a few- weird thing to. I suppose. I mean, like, yeah. I suppose you go with. Well, did she win the Academy Award for *A Streetcar Named Desire*? 
She did. She did. Yeah, so I can see why they did that, but I'm with you. Like, you can mention more than one film, <laughs> like when you're advertising you know, an actor and actress. M- mention the one that they probably, the horror fans would probably know her more. Mm-hmm. From. You know, I love, I love Streetcar from Desire, but a lot of like, oh, she was in the Planet of the Apes movies. You know, mm-hmm. she was the one of the monkeys. You know, uh, but she's great. I love her performance in this. Oh, she's you know? like fully committed to the the role. In a way which I love. There's so many movies where the the, the kind of the psychic shaman lady comes out to do something, and it just feels like every trope you've seen in every movie done before, and someone is doing like almost a tick box. There are whole sex segments here in the movie where I was like, "That did she? St- <laughs> did she actually conjure up a spell?" <laughs> because it, she's like, she's entrancing the camera, like works really well with it. Those scenes are shot brilliantly because there, there is that kind of almost that, that kind of woozy. Well, hypnotic's a great word to use. Uh, kind of seventies yeah. vibe. The way seventies cinema captures almost the psychedelia, psychedelia of those. Of the time, like that, that kind of new age um, religion and, and all those things. If you watch any documentaries or any like TV of the time, it, you know it's quite it's kind of woozy to look at it now. And she is fucking brilliant in this. She's like like there's no hamming up here at all. She's like I am psychic lady. Watch me roar, and it works really really well. Yeah, and you know the, the aspect of it, like that whole saying thing. Uh, I don't know if we want to get into her now, but that. <laughs> thing when it happens when it happens uh, i kind of forgot it happened like my mouth dropped i'm like whoa yeah Yeah. you know but uh yeah i enjoy the movie for what it is it's definitely a piece of like vermont folk horror which i you can't really say with a lot of these other movies and it's very different and unique in that sense yeah, it's it's very much. I think having not seen the last movie yet, obviously, but knowing what you've told me about the last movie, um, I am you know very much of the opinion that this is the. And I think once again, I'd like even though what this isn't isn't going to score as high as some of the other movies I've seen in there because I do I do think there are a couple issues here. Um, one particularly, there's there's a bit of a pacing issue in this movie. Um, not like overall. Uh, but in certain sequences, I'm like, right, I know why we're doing this, but we can you know, ramp up a little bit quicker. Um, but I think the purpose, the, the modus operandi of the box sets are to deliver great like insight into all these movies that were, were made of the time that just never had the spotlight shined on them for whatever fucking reason. We've said it before, 76, a lot going on that year in cinema, uh, sp- yeah. specifically genre cinema. So when Stephen Thrower in his interview is talking about how the movie had this bitch poster, which it did, um, and how you know it just kind of was released to little or no fanfare at all, I think contextually when you think of the time period it's because 76 is a busy fucking year for horror um, and you know trying to position this as a movie that's going to compete against those is always going to be kind of difficult uh, yeah. so I, I, I can kind of see that but in terms of that it's actual placement in the box set I think this is, is wonderful because I want that I don't want three movies that feel like Witch Who Came From The Sea. I don't want three movies that feel like, you know, uh, Malatesta's Carnival of Blood. I want different experiences. And this one certainly feels like that. I think, and kind of doubling down here, the, the story really, it's covered really well in the back there. We're following this this guy who does have a bit of the... Uh, <laughs> 
what would you like because you're American so you know better than me I know I would put the accent probably in the incorrect place what accent does this guy actually have is it no, like think, New Jersey is it is that I like, think it's like a New Jersey or New York Brooklyn accent like Italian accent because you're Italian <laughs> you know elegante you know that seemed maybe almost piss myself um, because like he's like he's like yeah, it's when he's like that. You, do you know what al dente means? And she's like, "Well, the Latin for dente is dentist." And I'm like, "No one fucking speaks like this." You know, I jump to the Latin, the Latin for Jesus. no one in this small town of Vermont knows. Yeah. This. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, yes, my 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 three years studying Latin and and uh, Juilliard. Uh, you know, you don't get fucking get that. But like. like so he's you know, he's obviously this horrific thing that's happened. He's carrying that baggage with him. He's settled down for apparently a full year in this small town because um, we get that in part of the conversation in the movie. Um, and he is he's been tormented by this older guy who we later find out is the father of the of the grandfather of the kid that he knocked over. Um, yeah. Who's going like full on? I will stalk you and try and kill you whenever you lay eyes on me. <laughs> I know he's just just chilling like. And all the town folks are like against him too. It's great. Like this guy's just fucking fucking with him, like yeah. in front of, you know, the staring at him. Like, you know, so, so bro, the scene where he's like he's parked I, outside the hardware store, and the old guys just stand there, and he goes fucking raw on him. Yeah, fucking great. Uh, the, the aspect of that character I do like though is I do like that he has extra baggage. We find out later because we find out he was like divorced. He has a kid, and you know, and he's trying to set a new life up here. Yeah, I like that aspect. Of, like later on, he actually calls his ex up, and, you know, trying to, you know, be nice to her. But then they end up getting into a fight anyways because all the turmoil that's going on within. It's it's kind of an interesting character that you're following throughout this. Yeah, you get you get. That's the thing that I think is really quite cool about this one is it kind of feels like there's a lot of attention paid to the story like I, I can I can think of a two or three movies that have like similar setups of a character trying to escape you know some horrible event and set up a, a new life in a new town that don't feel like they pay enough attention to the character development I think that's like it's something that I, I kind of clung on to meanwhile he's being tormented with these visions these haunting visions of a you know a, a, something in a like almost like the Grim Reaper's robes, uh, Grim Reaper's Sunday best, um, is, is pursuing them, and you know, this is it's causing them to panic, hyperventilate, like pass out, um, all these things that are going on. And after a tarot reading, as you do, um, it, it kind of it feels the need to seek more professional help. And when I say professional, I mean as in someone who is into witchcraft and, and all that jazz um, and the movie ultimately culminates in a very very interesting way like the end of this movie is it's like the end of It Follows a little bit yeah a, 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 a little bit in a way where I I kind of went huh because this is not where I thought it was going to go and I'm, I'm kind of glad it didn't go where I thought it was going to go which was a very conventional ending so to speak, but they do just finish this in a kind of matter-of-fact sort of way. Yeah. Which I thought was quite interesting. I mean, ultimately, I think what we're led to believe is the 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 cursed 
entity inhabits his dog that tries to eat him. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and he, he tries. He puts kills the dog. Yeah, he puts the dog down. The dog is like his best friend, and he kind of like hovers over the dog as the dog dies, meaning the curse is over. Question mark. Um, it's not really. You know, there's no, there's nothing in the movie, to the best of my knowledge, when I was watching it, which indicates that all that needs to happen is the curse needs to be manifest in something that you can kill for it to break. Realistically, that's not how I would imagine curse would work. But um, it's this kind of thing where character ultimately has to to kill something that he loves in order to continue on, which is just additional baggage and trauma. Really. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that aspect of it too because. The, the grandfather wanted him to feel the loss that he felt. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, which I mean, once again, if that's the the thing, kind of, there is a there is a kind of eye for an eye sort of sort of vibe going on there. Um, I didn't. Like, the thing is, though, whilst it finished that way, I thought, right, that's you know, it's cool, it's different. I've ne- definitely never seen an ending like that in a horror movie before that I could recall. Um, and I, I, I kind of felt like, right, we've come to the end of this particular story arc. So it, it felt relatively neat whilst being not expected. Um, but I think we're both touched on it. It's probably worth saying um, cinematography, big part in this movie. It's, it At times, it's a very beautiful landscape to look at, and at other times, incredibly haunting. <laughs> yeah, like this, the, when he just goes deep in those woods, it's just like, Whoa! You can see, like, especially when you watch this like new transfer, mm. it's like whoa! You can see like masses, and you like maybe see something, or you know, in the background, like whoa! Yeah, it's it's it, like I, I think it's a like a genius move to do what they did here, um, and what doubles up on top of that is the absolutely batshit score, uh, which ranges from everything from like weird kind of proggy synths. Um, right through to kind of like discord. John Bonham, yeah, drum solos. <laughs> yeah, like out of fucking nowhere, man. <laughs> and it jumped, it, they, they, they pair them up in weird bits. Like, there are bits where things are fairly serene, where you get it's like Suspiria. Like, there's bits where, like, why is this music so intense? <laughs> fucking nothing's happening. And it kind of put me like on edge like the way they're describing this is it's a slow burn chiller and I kind of get that in parts where there there was bits where I was like right like like through his interpretation of right I can feel something bad's in the air and the music's ramping up and we're looking around and nothing's there uh, and then ultimately he catches a sight of this kind of cloaked hooded figure which forces him to like like move it out holding a bit of wood which causes a guy to saw his leg which doesn't look like it's that deep but this guy's milking it for everything that it's worth you would have thought he'd chopped his fucking leg off um, yeah. which I, I kind of loved but the score is so bizarre but once again like a lot of these movies we've covered in the box sets it weirdly works with the movie you're watching it shouldn't on paper but it, it kind of works hand in hand in a way that I felt worked surprisingly satisfying what was your take? Yeah, like I said earlier, like the score kind of enhanced the movie for me because mm. it kind of had like a hypnotic effect where, you know, like like you were saying, like when those big riveting parts come on and usually comes on a scene where it's nothing's happening and you're like, whoa, what the fuck's going to happen? You know, mm-hmm. something's going to happen So, You know, it kept me and it kind of self-induced me to keep watching the movie. Even on, like we said, like the slower pace, you know, my... 
the scene I crack up is, you know, <laughs> in this movie. You know, it's one of those, like, he burns down his whole studio and fucking goes to jail for it. I'm like, he owned it. Right? It's, his, it's his property. Um, no one got harmed. It's okay. You know, like, he's like, let it burn. Uh, and then I just died laughing. And it was like, there's a white horse reference in this movie, too. I'm like, oh, God. I know. Like, honestly. It's, it is the ongoing theme and joke of this whole series is you know how many of these movies did Rob Zombie see, um, and the answer I think is all of them. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just too funny that it's, it's too much of a coincidence. Um, either that or Rob Zombie. We know Rob Zombie is very influenced by seventies cinema, and maybe yeah. it's just that maybe there's just a lot more of those references in movies that we're not aware of. Yeah, maybe after we watch these, we can watch H two and be like, "Okay, I get this now." Yeah, we go back now and it'll all it'll all become. We'll have the 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 always sunny board with the 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 red the red thread tied around all these different pictures and movies and yeah, oh. see, it's, this is Rob Zombie's master design. This is his plan. Um, yeah, I mean. Like I say, I think there are some pacing issues here. I think there's some, like, I think you are right. I think our main protagonist uh, isn't a great actor. I think it's evident he's not a great actor when he's put against someone who has an Academy Award. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, it's not sure. a terrible, it's not a terrible performance either. It's just you kind of, he's not a sympathetic character. And I—that's the bit that I could—I couldn't really get my. That at times he says things like specifically you were mentioning about phone calls back home and whatnot, where there's a bit there's a hook in there for me, but in his day-to-day operations as a character, I I don't dislike him, but I don't necessarily like him. I'm kind of ambivalent to him, um, and he's he's okay for what he does in the movie, but. You know, up until the very end, where I did genuinely feel sorry for him at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, like that's the bit they got me in. For most of the movie, he's 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 he exists in the movie in a way where I have no great kind of negative or positive attitude towards. Um, and so some of those scenes where it's just him like interacting with some other people work really well for me others don't like the scene with the fake kind of okay corral shoot out in the bridge thing you know that scene goes on for quite a bit it goes on for about three minutes and yeah you know, there's like no come on like okay then oh come on like i'm like wrap this up like this is a quick this should be a quick scene for exposition and let's move on and there's a couple of them in there that i feel drag the pacing down a little bit um but and it obviously Stephen Thrower makes comments about is you know some people might consider this you know a, a bit of a, a quieter movie maybe not necessarily of the genre certainly as a horror movie anytime a fucking a cursed hooded cloaked wearing entity appears to a character that no one else can see that's a horror movie right regardless regardless if it's full of jump scares or, or all those things it's a fucking horror movie uh, it just has a very it does that thing that I, I think a lot of great 70s movies do is it's very deliberate about how it unfolds its story yeah. and I think that works to its credit for the most part other times I'd like it to be a bit snappier um, but yeah like this is one of these ones that I'd never heard of before like the whole box set but one that I'd never heard before I watched it I dug the elements of kind of rural folk horror 
elements in there. I like the way the story kind of started to unfold where, you know, it's evident after the first 15 minutes, this is definitely not the same sort of pacing as a lot of the movies we've seen in the box set uh, thus far. And then, yeah, the bizarre use of the score, um, Kim Hunter's performance is fucking legit top-notch. And, you know, it culminates in this, you know, this crescendo of I'm surprised we ended up here, but it's kind of awesome that we we did. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot to like about this one. Uh, you know, it's not... Uh, it's weird because I was thinking about the, this moving in here. Like, the movie that... Like, when it comes to scoring, it's maybe going to score the lowest out of the all the ones thus far that I've seen, but not by much. You know, I would put it marginally below Malatesta's Carnival of Blood, which is a movie that I genuinely think is kind of cool. Um, it should be marginally below that, but that's not me saying, oh, this one is the worst one in the box set. I'm just saying, due to personal tastes, I prefer some of the other ones in here. I, I recognise that this is a surprisingly strong film um, by, you know, by a director who, according to Stephen Thrower, didn't do a lot of horror things, if any. This is maybe his only horror movie. It was, yeah. So, and I think he, I think he did something that's really doesn't feel like much of anything else at the time period, which in itself is a huge fucking thumbs up from me. So, uh, any closing statements on Dark August? Anything we haven't touched that you want to spend a bit of time chat? Uh, you know, we gotta mention one thing before we go. Like the dude's denim jack shirt and jeans. <laughs> Double you <know>? denim. <laughs> And, you know, it's funny that the character's named Sal DeVito. What if they remade this movie with Danny DeVito as Oh, Sal man. DeVito? I, I would, like, honestly, like, tonight I got you now, bro. Um, like, he's got, like, like, it's not even that he's got, like, this double denim, but it's, like, the inability to fasten the top the four buttons. Movie. The same outfit, the whole yeah. fucking movie. And his buttons are always, that's what I mean, he's, like, the top four buttons are always undone. Uh, so it's like full on man cleavage for the entire movie uh, but yeah it's, it's the same outfit all the way right through and I just imagine this is what this guy wears and this is like the, the, in real life I imagine this is what this guy wears and he's like I'm just fucking ain't compromising it this is what he wears because this is why I'm comfy exactly but it, <laughs> uh, it's fucking hilarious he does try and kill a woman with a phone in this movie though which is Kinda I was going to slide back to Richard Lynch and go, <laughs> Oh man, like on a, on a like distinct tangent, uh, I watched that Bad Dreams movie in the Slasher collection and yeah. Richard Lynch is fucking glorious in that and I am like, I'm now fully committed to the church of Richard Lynch. I think he, like everything now from now on. Um, Lynch mob, yo. He's, he's, he's fucking brilliant in it. And yet there was flames in that movie, which explained things. So that's cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, I think overall, like I say, I don't necessarily think this is the strongest entry, but it's by no stretch, you know, at all a bad movie. And um, when it comes in, I've, I think the lowest grade I've given thus far is a four. So I'll give this one a three point five on the scale. Um, I don't think I'll ever really go above that, but it still exists somewhere between I liked it and really liked it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderfully weird movie that, once again, I don't think I would have ever seen had it not been for this box set. It's one that has never come up. Even when I was doing my research on kind of 70s horror to do the you know the 70s series of shows, 
that we did a couple of years ago now. Um, Dark August wasn't a title that sprung up, so and I think that's one of the reasons why the American Horror Project in itself is a worthwhile cause. Um, what about yourself? What grade are you coming in? I'm giving it also a 3.5 out nice. of 5. You know, like I said, I do enjoy this movie a lot. It's just the aspect of... I agree with you completely. There is a lot of... Some pace and issues with the movie. Yeah. But it, the hypnotic score keeps me still intrigued to keep going, especially when those scenes do happen. Mm-hmm. I'm like, say, uh, like I, for example, I watched Hotel Inferno 2 for a show recently. Mm-hmm. There's a whole like 10 minute scene where it's a guy solving a puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, why? Why? You know, you know, but, uh, yeah, I still really enjoy this movie, and I do recommend it. And I want to give another shout out too because I actually watched some of the special features. Uh, I checked out a uh, what's it called, Dark August and Vermont Folk Horror, where uh, Stephen R. Bissett actually does like a thing about film horror films filmed in Vermont and set in Vermont. It's actually a very interesting interview and look, and I was kind of shocked because I didn't even know like. Violent Midnight was shot in Vermont, you know. Oh, wow, right. You know, so it was kind of interesting. He went into, like, a few of, like, the horror films that were shot in, like, Vermont and stuff. So that was actually a good special feature. Yeah, I've still, I've still to go back through the rest of the special features on it, but that's one I'll look forward to. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love the, the idea of these, these little gems, like, appearing in these box sets and... I mean, I don't know when we'll get box set number three. I imagine uh, probably not next year, probably the year after. Oh, in saying that, this came out in 2019 and it was two years between box set one and box set two. So, um, never, so you never know. You never know. Uh, but I'm, I'm a patient dude. I'd rather than release these like they are with great transfers and yeah. work and, you know, not rush them like a Friday the 13th box set and have four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think it's only to their credit. If you don't hear much, I don't think it's because they're not doing stuff. It's just that they are working diligently in the background to make sure that what they give you is the good shit. Uh, and thus far, it's the good shit. We've one movie left to cover um, in this series before we break over Christmas and return with the brand new box set. Uh, that is The Child. Um, now, I have not seen The Child. You are kind of very giddy to get my impression of The Child, um, and which has made me very excited to see it. Um, I, I hope it does justice to what I think is going to happen in my head, because it does sound... It's referenced by Thrower on... I want to say it was the previous movie's um, special features where he... Or no, in fact, it was a special feature for this one. Uh, his, his video essay where he talks about, I think it was uh, Night of the Living Dead being this great example of how you could just go out and make a, a movie pretty quickly um, in an area that you live in and, and you're generally from that. And that he basically said the child had a similar ethos without being the same movie, which <laughs> which is a nice way of saying bonkers. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to that. We will be back in short order with this because we are try to tie up loose ends before the end of the year so you won't have that long to wait maybe a week and a bit before the next episode drops as always an absolute pleasure chatting to you Derek you have stuff out there that people should be listening to uh, where can they check it out 
Sure, you can check me out. Most of my shows are in Dark Discussions, the new brand new network. Of course, Cinema Attack, No More Room in Hell, and They're Here podcast. Uh, I think Underwater Kaiju might be coming back too in the near future. So look out for that. I'm mm. not sure. We haven't set a date yet, but we got the, you know, the, you know, planning going and forward on that so that's good at least so that might be coming back in the future so you can check that out under kill the cast on legion podcast nice nice all right i'm gonna take my final break of this episode when i come back i'm closing out the show and i'm doing it right after this you're listening to the podcast under the stairs you've been listening to a podcast under the stairs this has been episode number 260 looking at the fifth movie in the american horror project series the second disc in box set number two dark august once again thanks to my guest derek for coming across and joining me for this conversation we have one movie left to do final movie in the american horror project box set and it proves to be a bonkers one so i'm a happy happy camper there's a multitude of ways to check out the show. Wherever you're listening to us right now, hit subscribe. That way you never miss any of the content that we drop. You get access to everything that we've previously dropped, which is over 800 episodes at this point for podcasts under the stairs. Also, subscribe to that Teapots Collective. You get some Where to Begin with Jallo. You get some doing the nasty, a little bit of opera on there. And while we are at it, some Chronicle to boot. Subscribe to both. It's the best way to support what I do. Visit our website is tputzcast.com. You can visit the merch page tputzcast.bigcartel.com. Couldn't be any easier than that, ladies and gents. While you're at the old checking out stuff, why not come across and join us on Facebook? Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast is a podcast under the stairs Facebook group page. The Teaputz Collective can be found at facebook.com forward slash tputzcast. You can reach out and interact and touch inappropriately with myself and the Baz on the twin prongs of social media sexiness. Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at TeapotCast. The podcast Under the Stairs will return for you tomorrow as we drop a little bonus episode, another listener choice selection for this listener choice December, but this time pivoting towards the really weird world of true crime documentaries. Uh, I'll be joined with a very special guest, Mr. Darren Wilson, and we'll be discussing a documentary from 2016, which focuses a laser pointer right on competitive tickling. That's right, we'll be discussing the very uncomfortable tickled tomorrow. So get yourself ready for that. It's going to make you feel weird. And let's be honest, we all like being felt. We all we all like being felt. That's not true. Some people don't like being touched. We all like getting a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe some people don't. I don't know. I'm just speaking for myself. I'm speaking for myself here. Right. I'm going to bring it in. I don't even know. We. I derailed myself. That's how gifted a derailer I am. When you can derail yourself podcasting, that's when you know you have a gift. Such a special, special gift. Until then, wherever you are, whatever the time zone is, whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, yeah, that's right, collectively, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan Cleese broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I am signing off. <laughs>